Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Yo, Becky. Hey, John. Man, do we have a powerhouse in at mom's kitchen table today. That is all about making good famous. Like, you know, this is our person. Like, we're so excited about this. Totally excited about it. And, you know, we are a community that really works to equalize. And we believe in making this world something that benefits everybody. And this is an area we can all lean into, the way that we can grab someone's hand, pull them up to the table, the way if we have our own privilege, how do we step back and make room for others? And we have a powerhouse that is going to come into this conversation today. And we're going to be talking about how to increase Latinx representation in philanthropy, but we're also going to be talking about the Elevate Prize Foundation. So it is my great joy to introduce Carolina Garcia, Jaya Rum, who is the CEO of the Elevate Prize Foundation. And she's not just the CEO of the Elevate Prize Foundation. She has been CEO and president of so many nonprofit organizations. Um, she's been at the National Young Arts Foundation. She's been the president and CEO of the United States Artist. And she was the executive director of the Chicago Artist Coalition, where she was also a member of little known name, Mayor Rahm Emanuel's cultural advisor. Advisory Council. So as a daughter of an artist, I am just geeking out on her background. But the thing that we're going to talk to about today is what's going on at the Elevate Prize Foundation. And this is a global purpose-driven nonprofit, and they're really serving to amplify social impact and empower passionate problem solvers, leaders, and innovators, which, hello, that is all of us here in the We Are For Good community. And I think the thing that I noticed on their website that I love so much is that they really believe that most people want to make the world a better, safer, more nurturing place. We just need to find the inspiration to awaken the hero inside and act. We talk all the time. I know you guys are tired of hearing about it, but we are an action-driven community. We never want the podcast to be a one-way conversation between us and our guests. We want to take these principles and activate them out in our communities wherever they are in the world. And just a little bit more about Carolina. She has her JD from the University of Miami Law School, where she is also an adjunct professor. She is of Cuban and Spanish descent, and she lives in Miami Beach with her husband and two darling sons. Carolina, welcome to the podcast. We are delighted you're here. Can you tell? Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, and I feel very welcome, so thank you. Well, we really want to know about this winding path of yours. I mean, certainly there's an equality piece to it. I love the artist piece. Tell us where you grew up and what kind of led you to where you are today. It is a very winding path. It truly is. And it started, I was born in Spain to Cuban parents who were were forced to leave Cuba when, when Castro came into power. So we were part of a big expat community that was in Cuba in the 60s and 70s. 
And then uh, my father and mother share the traits of so many immigrants, you know, who felt that at that time, anyway, there was great opportunity in the U.S. And the early 70s brought huge waves of migration from all over the world. But um, in our case, it was to live and prosper that American dream. So we came to the U.S. um, around that time. I was a small child and we ended up growing up for the most part after a few moves in Central Florida and Orlando which was a very unusual place for me to grow up having come from Europe. And there were very few Latins in Orlando at the time. Now it's a huge thriving Latino community, but it wasn't at the time. So that's you know where I spent most of my childhood and then left there and went on a very long journey living in different countries and cities for most of my young adulthood. And like you said, um, forging a very winding, winding but interesting path. Gosh, we just love how our stories just kind of inform how we show up today. And I know that just baked into how you lead now with the Elevate Prize Foundation, which I mean, the more we learn about the work y'all are doing, it's just so fascinating and cool and of this very moment. And so I wonder if you would kind of give us an overview if someone's new to this foundation, kind of tell us about what's the DNA and what you're really trying to accomplish and kind of catch us up on that. Sure. I mean, our mission is to to find and amplify the work of some of the world's most promising social impact leaders. And so by amplify, though, we mean something very specific and unique and that we're bringing a much needed and potentially transformative visibility to these social impact leaders. And a key byproduct that we hope happens um, as a consequence of that visibility is that a global fan base will be formed that we're hoping to build who is made up of individuals who are deeply and greatly inspired by the work of of not just our winners, but social heroes all over the world and inspired to do good. This idea of inspiration to action that you're talking about and not just this kind of, you know, slacktivism or armchair activism that we we all know about and hope to sort of evolve um, in this next iteration of, of social impact. And uh, so that's really the mission of the organization is largely to to give uniquely impactful support to these leaders and then also use them in a way to inspire legions of others to do good themselves. And like Becky said, um, inspire the hero in all of us. I love that because it's there's such a ripple to that level of empowerment. And, and I think the thing that I see when I'm looking at your social channels and I'm on your website, uh, there is this concept of just seeing the little guy which we love so much is seeing someone that maybe isn't getting as much attention because they don't have the resources behind them. They don't have the network behind them, but we understand and you see and value that they have something uniquely interesting that is going to impact the world. And the fact that you wrap this prize around it, elevate them with your network is just really aspirational. So I want to talk a little bit about Elevate Giving because you have this wonderful partnership with our friends over at Philanthropy Together. We've had Kaisen Bantawang on the podcast before. We actually just co-hosted um, a panel with him um, a couple weeks ago at the Virtuous Summit. And I love that Elevate Prize Foundation is really leveraging giving circles to create a deeper impact. Can you share more about this program and the impact you've witnessed? Because we are really geeked out about what is really a burgeoning, growing part of philanthropy in these giving circles that are happening in micro-communities. Sure. Um, And we're new, you know, to giving circles. We've been experimenting quite a lot. You know, we're a young foundation, but our founder, Joe Deitch, and I, uh, we love to try out new ideas that we're always iterating along with our team. And we, you know, we know there needs to be this cultural shift. This can't just be, many times this is echo chamber. We're all talking to ourselves in the sector. And a lot of this happens, you know, there's, there's so many reasons for that. But 
to get to know what turns inspiration to action and how visibility can transform impact, all the things that we're really doing very deeply in the work with the Elevate Prize and those winners. We're also looking for ways to, to invite those folks who are becoming these fans, part of this fan base, to start to take action. So we launched Elevate Giving last year to help demystify philanthropy through this very accessible model of giving circles, right? And this is part of a larger, you used this word earlier, which is one of our core values, which is empowerment. And it's it goes to the heart of what our work is for our winners and for the communities that we're trying to engage, right, and, and activate. And so giving circles are this experiment that we launched last year with Philanthropy Together, who we love so much. And I don't know if you know that Sarah just did a TED Talk. She's in this yeah, year's TED, which that. we saw, oh, we got to see, see it live. Oh amazing. God. You have to listen to it. She's she's just such a gifted, amazing person. But um, you know, really does it, it embody our core value of empowerment. And we were launched, we launched the Elevate Prize in March of 2020. So it was a very oh interesting gosh. time to launch anything, <laughs> as you can imagine, but especially a global impact prize that was seeking to use ideas like fame and visibility for social good, for good, you know, for humanitarian good. And at that time, suddenly with COVID and Black Lives Matter and Me Too, it seemed like that very much accelerated our theory of change. And and this hunger that people are ready to step up, right, and use their voice like never before. And after that point of critical mass around these issues, we were also seeing how funders and corporations and media and entertainment have followed suit, right, with their investments in their communications. So all of this was telling us that this idea, this was the time, this was the time to experiment around democratizing philanthropy and giving people real access and ways to engage and and turning the tables on power, you know, and who really had who really had the power and should, like you said, shining a light on on those individuals on the ground who have the real authority and the lived experience to make these decisions. And I think, you know, we've learned so much in a short time. We've done two rounds of giving circles so far, and we've learned, you know, that there's just really a great opportunity to connect people, obviously, who otherwise wouldn't cross paths and give them space to learn and create impact together. And not only are they connecting in normal giving circles in real life, but ours, because they're virtual, they're connecting across continents and countries and discovering these really small but powerful organizations they would never have learned about and investing in those leaders that they could have never found on their own. So there's so many huge benefits that come out of giving circles, but we've found they're in a really effective way to deploy resources for these emergent community needs. Um, will we always do them? I'm not sure. They're definitely part of our fabric in some way, but I think we've learned there's elements of it that, um, that we love and that, you know, we're getting a lot of, of great feedback about. Well, to me, the, the kind of connected pieces between it is just so beautiful because we talk a lot about like trying to shift the lens on nonprofit. It's always kind of pigeonholed as scarcity mindset and not leaning mm -hmm. into of the moment. And some of that's reserved for the for-profit world, but y'all are, I mean, you said this, you're using fame to power some of this. You know, I love that you're <laughs> stepping into this, but also leading people into better, deeper conversations. And to me, that's what Giving Circles does. I mean, when that's how often right. can you sit around and talk about values and talk about impact, talk about what's happening in the world? And so I just think that you're a conversation starter. Like it just comes naturally out of what you're doing. What have you learned about that? Like what does it learn? Have you learned in how do you take this amplification and what does that do for these missions that come through and get the prize or just get connected with y'all? What is the power of that? 
Well, there's two parts to that. The first part that you're asking about, like with the folks who are engaging and, and what gets them to engage, you know, we know this is the reason why Elevate Giving is an experiment. Even that, even a 90 minute pop-up giving circle call, it's a lot in this day and age. We're living through a time where people are just so fatigued. You know, they want to give, they want to, but the, another participant thing to participate, another thing to donate to. We only have so much energy, right, and resources in a day. But what we want to say is this is energizing. We're aiming to create content that fuels people, right, that gets them to see these leaders as solutions so that, in fact, they're not draining, but they're energizing and invigorating. So what are those pathways to getting people on that path? What is that low lift that you can do? There's nothing. I mean, you opened the, the segment about storytelling. There's nothing more energizing than learning the stories and solutions that these people are coming across in their worlds, but then taking that to the next level and getting access and opportunity to be a part of it, right? That's what is exciting to us because we see this need for this cultural shift that like I said earlier, with whether BLM or, or Me Too or what have you, has already begun in the mainstream, but that our sector, whether it's impact or nonprofit, has not fully aligned with or could align with far more completely. And we want to challenge this idea that impact work from these leaders can't themselves be mainstreamed, because if they can be, think about the potential for not only supporting them and the organizations through the visibility that we spoke about earlier, but also because of the many more people, the legions of people that might materialize because of their proximity to that modeling, right? That that, that those people represent. Whoa. You don't wow. can't be it without seeing it, right? Like that's it. And and so you have to have that representation. We know that from so many sectors and models, how important that um, representation feels. And part of the reason I think my path was so circuitous and so lost at many times, to be perfectly honest, in my life is because there wasn't a lot of that modeling done for me. And I'm sure, you know, most people of my generation. So that's where I think, you know, it's so important and there's so much opportunity um, with programs like Elevate Giving. But the more we learn about our audience and what they want to do and how they want to engage, the more resources we can design for them. Okay, you guys are so smart. And <laughs> the way that you are leveraging the because uh, the representation, the giving circle, the storytelling, community, I, I just think baking it all together is such a secret sauce because one can't live without the other. They have got mm -hmm. to be completely intertwined. And I, I just think giving circles are so interesting and unique because as we're watching just this digital explosion of, of social interaction. And we're watching social justice. We're watching Stop Asian Hate. We're watching Me Too. All these things that you've talked about. We're curious about, you know, why do you believe the things that you do? And why do you fight for the things that you do? And when you get in a giving circle with people who are aligned with your values, who believe in the same things, I think it becomes such an accelerant for your momentum because you find like-minded friends who are willing to pour what you just said, time, resources, and, and I would say precious time and precious resources um, into something that really lights a fire in them. And storytelling is such a way to do that. And I just want to uplift what you said about seeing this cultural shift 
that needs to happen because there is really no path to equality until we really embrace that. And I, I want to pivot a little into that as we talk about our Latino friends. And, and, and before I ask this question, I just want to set some tone for our audience. You know, we, we talked to Ana Maria Argelagos um, a couple se- seasons ago, and she's the CEO of Hispanics and Philanthropy. And she just threw down some shocking stats that really have been haunting us for a while. And you've included them here. And I want to, I want to share them with our community. Latinos hold just 1% of foundations and nonprofit CEO, CEO positions and under 10% of program officer positions, yet they represent 20% of the U S population. And they're the fastest growing population in our country. Um, and so we really need to be looking at ways we can bring voices, those lived experiences, that expertise, because there is massive expertise in. So I want you to talk a little bit about why Latinx representation matters. Why do we need to increase it in philanthropy? And why is this an issue for every single person that's listening right now? Well, that correlation between that 1% of U.S. philanthropic dollars going to Latinx organizations and then the one whatever point something percent of of leadership and foundations being Latinx, I mean, that correlation is everything, right? And I mean, that, that tells the story in and of itself. And to have that representation at the top takes a generation and probably more of investment and intentional planning, you know, from education to mentorship to uh, pathways to higher education and learning to, you know, paid internships, not free internships, you know, things yes. that really do open doors for folks who may not have traditionally the access that some people with greater privilege do. And I have great privilege within the Latin community because I'm a white skinned Latina, but I'm a Latina. So I'm also, you know, living two edges of that with uh, both my culture and my gender that there I've experienced, you know, many moments of life of being, of being um, misunderstood or put in a box or, you know, somehow shortchanged in that way. But the more important story here is what my representation means along with any other Latino leader is that with that lived experience, we can help drive decisions toward communities of people who we have greater understanding of the same way that my friends in the LGBTQ community would have for the community that they represent. It doesn't mean I can't be part of that community of giving, but I need folks from that community to teach me how to do that with the greatest impact and authenticity and authority. Right. So, um, it's it's a huge opportunity for the United States right now. This is this population has grown so fast. I mean, just in my generation, this has happened. So it's no wonder that we're catching up and we're learning as we go. And it's it's a big learning curve. But if you think about the brands, you know, just if you think about the nearly two trillion dollars of consumer purchasing power that the Latino community now represents in the United States. And the brands who are benefiting from that $2 trillion, that's not then translating to even those corporate foundations giving practices. And it should be. So we need to connect some of these dots in the in the media, the way we tell these stories to say, we already have this power. We just haven't taken action on it. It's not like yes. we're out there asking for it. We can demand it. You know, we can demand this of our brands and of our foundations. But I think as importantly as that is that these Latinos come from countries 
as most foreigners do, where philanthropy is very different. Foundations are different. The state is set up differently to fund certain programs in a community. So there's also a lot of education that has to happen within the Latino community. And I speak of this, you know, coming from Miami, which has just been named the most diverse city in the world in res- with respects to percentage wow. of foreign born residents above even Toronto, which is, you know, so, so uh, diverse. And, um, and that opportunity now to speak to Latinos who are here, just like Elevate Giving, who can give $10 or can give $10 million. You know, you have the whole, you have the whole range of Latinos living in this country, you know, so philanthropy is something we have to be discussing within our own community and how we start stepping into roles of leadership and also giving, you know, our own philanthropic dollars to drive the way it's affecting our community. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know, we believe everyone matters and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising, growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Taking a quick pause from today's episode to thank our sponsor, Slingshot Group. Our friends over at Slingshot Group partner with nonprofits to recruit and hire great leaders, build remarkable teams, and unleash your mission's potential. You know, we talk often about how much your organization's culture matters, especially today, and not just being a place that attracts talent, but also becomes a magnet to connecting donors to your mission. Slingshot Group is the organization we trust to help you do just that. It's so much more than a staffing and executive search firm. Slingshot Group goes deep and gets to know your culture so they can help you find the leaders and staff who will take your mission to the next level. Sound like Slingshot Group might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at slingshotgroup.org or follow the link in our show notes. I mean, thank you for that, because I think we have a lot of nonprofit leaders on this uh, that listen to the community here and plug in here. And I just think we we have to just start with the base understanding that we all can be part of the solution, no matter what seat we're at, you know, and I just think of the young professionals, there's such movement, you know, during the um, great resignation and all these kind of things happening that mm-hmm. people are moving into the sector. How can we really champion for young Hispanic nonprofit leaders that are coming in that are feeling excluded. What are some direct things that you would advise? You know, how can we get involved and amplify? I love that you've used the word amplify so much and empower from whatever seat we're at. I would just love some more practical guidance. It's a good question. I mean, my own experience has been through you know, being part of associations and part of, of groups, you know, that I align with and who, and that matter to me. And if I don't see enough Latino representation there, starting to involve more Latino representation there, this was true in the arts. You know, I spent 20 years of my career in the art world and there was not enough Latino representation in major museums and collections. And I've worked a lot, you know, for example, with the Ford Foundation for many years uh, with different organizations that I've represented. And when I was with United States artists, a, a great and one of the greatest living American artists, Teresita Fernandez, um, was 
gave me the opportunity to be part of a Latinx symposium that the Ford Foundation put together and really helped move the needle on how we were talking about Latinx culture and artists and empowering them. And they needed to be part of Canon collections. And, you know, we had so much to learn from other groups who were doing this really well within the art world. And, but, you know, it's really standing up and aligning yourselves with the leaders of those communities. I find it's much easier, especially when you're young, to reach out to leaders in these communities. They're far more accessible than we think they are. Get on LinkedIn and direct message them. Get on Instagram and, and direct message them. You'd be shocked with how many people want to be part of this conversation and want to lift up the voices of other people. And nowadays, with the incredible democratization of content, you know, that I can make a movie on the phone that I'm holding in my hand means that we can self-publish our own blogs. We can, we can, you know, start our own podcasts. Like the these things are all possible today. And this content-driven economy, this individualized kind of gig economy, all these these things are, are I think, complementary to each other and giving folks like Latinos a, a voice that they've never had before. So I just want to always be that. And, and if your listeners out there think that they have, that there's a way for me to help them in that way, I'm always out there to do that because I know there, there aren't enough of us Latinos in, you know, positions of, of running foundations at this point in this country, but hopefully very soon there will be more. And that goes to the, I think the core of what we're doing with the prize too, you know, is, is saying for each of our leaders, what is the way that by bringing them visibility, they are then lifting up the voices of the, the folks that they represent who are almost always typically underserved with the solutions that they've come up with. So it's, you know, these things all kind of mirror each other. We're not inventing a new pathway and way to do this, but, you know, Latinos, it's it's a great age in this country to be, but at the same time, there's so much diversity within the Latino community, and that also needs to be understood. You know, if you're coming from Central America, it's very different than, you know, other parts of the Caribbean might be different from, you know, these countries are, are very unique and different in, in and of themselves as well. You know, this is a space where we need to lift. And that's what I think is so powerful about what you're doing, not only at Elevate Prize, but it just feels like this has been a legacy of yours throughout your career. And I want to thank you for it. And so just for a little bit of practicality for our listeners, who in this space is really shining and rising in the field. Who we we really believe um, one of our biggest trends for 2022 is we think leaders as thought leaders emerging is a really big trend. Who are some of the thought leaders who could impart this knowledge that we could follow, whether it's on social media or we could get on their blogs? Who would you recommend for people to go check out? Well, earlier you mentioned um, the hashtag Stop Asian Hate, and that was partially developed. I think she authored it, but I, I don't want to misspeak, but I think she authored it. One of our winners, Amanda Wynn, who won in our oh first year, um, is just an incredible leader, you know, and, and founded an organization called Rise. And one of the important things, if I can speak a little bit about our Elevate Prize, because it is just, um, I think it's designed for that, you know, to lift these voices. And in that case, um, in that prize, we spend a great deal of the two years that they're with us developing their their voice and giving them really unprecedented and unmatched support around things like communications and social media and branding and website marketing, all of these areas that your listeners will know are not places that are easily and usually funded um, in the foundation world, the nonprofit space. And we're really like the scarcity mindset is very much there because you just don't have those tools to do that. So Amanda had just gone through our um, social media boot camp, had learned all these really incredible tricks and trades. She already had a strong social media following, but 
largely because of the training she had just gone through, it happened to coincide with the timing of all of this horrible hatred and and violence that was being experienced against Asians in our in our country. And she made this video of herself that went completely viral on Instagram. Instagram themselves posted it to their 400 million followers. She was everywhere. And she, I think for the first time, used the hashtag Stop Asian Hate, which she said, you know, she learned that from what she learned from us. So these are people who we can look to and follow because they're claiming that space. You know, they're they're saying that my lived experience, my story is an inspiration to everyone. And it's not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I'm out there to show you that in with that vulnerability, we can create, like you said, all hands together. I mean, truly we are multitudes, right? Like nobody is just in that LGBTQ. There may be other Latino. They might also be a woman. They might also have disability. They might also, you know, most of us are entering these, these worlds with these multitudes of backgrounds and experiences. And we have to honor that. And Know that just like you said, Becky, that representation, truly what that means is open dialogue and communication and getting to know each other. So if we're doing our job of shining a light and gr- giving greater visibility to these leaders who are so brave and coming from the real true lived experience of the issues that they're representing, then that will then connect with that many more people who feel empowered to do the same because they understand them. And just because, you know, you might be from Oklahoma and you may not have had those kind of experiences, having that visibility allows you on this very humanistic level to learn that and then represent those people, even if they're not your lived experience. Wow. I mean, thank you for circling back and closing the loop on that because I think that there's just so much that's applicable here. And I mean, y'all have this incredible platform that you have just launched people and equipped them and surrounded them in resources. But I think all of us, you know, I think of Tammy Tibbetts, she's the first co-founder came on the podcast and she was like, all of us can get active today by putting a link in our profile to the charity that we want to lift. You know, it's like we all can amplify in our own way and it's going to take that. But okay, the threads of you equipping and giving kind of blueprints to people and walking alongside them to me is so powerful. We believe strongly in the power of professional development here and pouring into leaders. So I just wanted to kick it to you and talk about, you know, about investing in people and Mm -hmm. what does that look like to you? What does that mean to you? I love that question. Um, I've been on both sides of this coin my whole career. You know, I've been both on the nonprofit, writing the grants, asking for the money, running the galas, all that stuff. And then I've been on this other side of being, of making the decisions of where that funding is going. Um, And even in the middle with things like working for the mayor and designing, you know, city programs. So it's been a wonderful ride in seeing that full picture. And the through line of all of that has been coming to a place where, and now it's called trust-based philanthropy, where find it's all about identifying and finding those great leaders and then largely getting out of their way right and listening to them these are a lot of these themes that we're picking up in this conversation deep listening to them letting them lead the way we brought in this amazing group called intention to impact who i will gladly plug on the show because they're so incredible and they're a young team two women and they do um you know measurement and evaluation work and unlike a lot of my colleagues in the field we are taking from the very beginning our le- our leaders our winners 
lead in telling us what impact means to them. What is success? What should we be measuring? What should we be looking at? And that's trust-based philanthropy. You know, each of our winners gets $300,000 unrestricted. 50,000 of that goes to the individual leader, which I find to be critical because so many of these leaders are so under-resourced and starving themselves, you know, sacrificing to give to the greater good. And they, that is a direct leader, you know, leader to why there's so much burnout and turnover and leadership and nonprofits. So we really believe in this and that our solution is this expert designed framework that we have for identifying, selecting, and then supporting them. And especially those on the brink leaders who we believe are people that are going to be remembered by many people for generations to come. I'm just, I'm so humbled by the caliber of these winners. Now we're up to 20 um, and five fellows as well. And the amazing life-saving and world-transforming solutions that they represent, but I wouldn't be able to truly support them fully if I didn't trust them and really learn from them how to support them. Because Dixon, who's with Friendship Bench in Zimbabwe, may have a very different set of needs than Brisa with Breeze of Hope in Bolivia. And I can't just use one set of metrics. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but this is how it's always worked, right? And for so long, even though nonprofits have provided this incredibly rich soil within which to plant all these experimental ideas and and all this kind of thing and tackling all these huge issues in the world, they're given so little, you know, with which to actually experiment. And so giving them the money they need to use it the way that they need um, is so key. And then adding to that, you know, being able to shine this much needed and deserved light onto them, which we can give them this really unique asset, which is visibility. So, you know, these things that, we, that we're giving them around social media communications, you know, they don't get it anywhere. And you know this um, because of, you know, the way that it's set up, that it's considered overhead and there's so little that they can use for overhead. But I mean, this is the key. We believe the key to so much. I mean, imagine a new brand launching here anywhere in the world without social media branding and PR. Like you can't even imagine because launching a lipstick without because that. It's overhead. It's overhead. It's overhead. So... You know, we just believe, you know, if we can unlock something huge there, but we also see, you know, we're a key, we're a puzzle piece to a much larger puzzle. That's not the silver bullet, but we think that's a wide open space of potential that just hasn't been really tapped. Um, So, you know, that trust-based philanthropy, that putting a lot, investing a lot in finding the best leaders we can find and who are ready for this stage, who are ready for that visibility, who want that. Um, Because as you can imagine, there's also kind of a psychological leap to this for a lot of leaders and nonprofits who were not really trained to be out in front and in the light and feel maybe they shouldn't be, but who truly are the greatest ambassadors for what they're doing. You know, so I think with these tools, we'll see so many incredible things coming out in the years to come. Um, We've just get, we're just getting started really. Holy heck. Okay. Everything that you've just said, um, (laughs) gosh, so much alignment and so much after spending 20 years inside the walls, feeling those restrictions, feeling that straight jacket of spending and how you move and how you don't move, this is transformational. I mean, this whole concept of trust-based philanthropy, it's scary that we've had to go through so much to get to this place, but thank you for championing it. Thank you for giving it a megaphone because we've got to move there. And I think you talking about it, starting with the people trust on that level is kind of everything, you know? And so 
What a centering part of your conversation. I want to give you a chance. I mean, you've bragged on some of your winners. Like, how can people get involved in this prize? How can you, you know, get in connection with this mission? Because it's just so beautiful what you're offering. Well, thank you. I mean, our nominations are open right now for our third round of the prize. Um, We've changed it a little bit up this year that we have. We're developing these pipeline partnerships with about a dozen other wonderful fellowship programs like Ashoka and Skoll and Obama Foundation and uh, DRK and others who are feeding us their alumni because we know a lot of people have done this work for us. They have found incredible people, but we know 99% of those people still don't have this particular set of resources and tools that we're giving them. Plus we give them, you know, advice and advisement and guidance from Bridgespan, but most importantly, and more money, you know, they can never get enough money. So that pipeline partnership is really key, but listeners of yours, I'm sure many of them would make incredible nominators for us. It's very easy. If you go to our website, elevateprize.org, they can find the nominations page there. And I think that should be up for a little while longer, but uh, applications are open through the summer, I think through the middle of the summer, June or July. And then of course you can sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social. We have really exciting, I mean, Elevate Giving is a wonderful program. I I have a lot of heart for it, but like I said, it's it's the beginning of a lot more that we're going to be offering. And um, there's going to be a really cool sort of crowdsourcing prize that we're going to be launching soon through Twitter, which is really cool, which is like basically giving little pots of money, but all the time really fast given by people people who are following us on Twitter. Um, And again, it's just like this experiment to see what gets people going that are low lifts, but highly impactful and energizing and, you know, really get people to start playing along with us because we're having a lot of fun and we just want a lot more people to get part of it. Make good famous. That's right. Make good famous. Why not? I am so geeked out about this. I I have so much to say about this. I can't because (laughs) we are a shorter podcast, but I just want to thank you for a couple things. One, for bringing up the overhead myth. We literally just had an incredibly long Friday conversation (laughs) and talking about why the overhead myth is so harmful, not only to our missions, to innovation, to scaling, but they are deeply harmful to the nonprofit professional for their ability to make a livable wage, to have balance in their work. Thank you for that. I also want to thank you for giving $50,000 to the nonprofit leader. I have never heard that. And I would bet that some of those winners are probably hesitant or even resistant to grab it and take it because of how hardwired we've been in the scarcity model. Mm -hmm. And I just have to bring it full circle back to what you were saying here, because when we had Anna Marie on, she was talking about uh, HIP's Mackenzie Scott gift. And she was saying they were having record number of gifts coming in that year, but all of these gifts were restricted and they were literally having trouble paying the bills, keeping the lights on, paying salaries before McKinsey Scott comes in with this trust-based philanthropy. And you know the process that she's undergoing to understand what is the cultural makeup? How healthy is the culture? She's looking at the leaders. She's looking at the base level of support of staff and how they're empowered. And that is trust-based philanthropy. And she gives an unrestricted gift that allowed HIP to scale and run quickly. This is what you all are doing, Carolina, that I cannot put enough 
um, Arsenio Hall fist pumps, (laughs) emojis, whatever it is on it, because we need more people thinking like this. We need more people empowering the people who are the creative geniuses with the answers to solve these huge systemic issues. We, they need empowerment and they need to feel like they can run. So I am all about making good famous. I, I mean, you've had the, the Clooney's have won the award. Can we talk about this? And these are amazing humans. So keep going. Thank you for all of this. I have to transition to story because we've talked about this a little bit and you have got to have an incredible story of philanthropy that has stayed with you. Do you have one that you'd be willing to share with our community? Yes. Um, you know, in this question, I love this question. Um, I'm going to start asking this question. I think it's a great one, but it has to be for me uh, meeting and working with Mother Teresa in India. Um, I was there living for a a year around India in the mid nineties. And I got to spend a few weeks volunteering for her um, in her, in Calcutta. She has sort of a a set of mission places that she has in Calcutta set up there. And one of my growth principles has always been deep observation of others. And during those weeks of working in her house, where I was working and volunteering was a place called the House of the Dying. So you can imagine it was a pretty heavy and intense place to be, but it's there and, and seeing her operation that I really believe I made my lifelong commitment to service. You know, I had never seen an operation like that. It was so well oiled, everything that all of her volunteers that came in from all over the world were doing and the nuns that worked for her. But it wasn't just even the operational side of that and how many lives were being affected with so few resources, but that energy of love and hope that just pervaded everything and all of the work that was there. And I saw really and felt that critical importance of maintaining the spiritual and the practical right together in order to reach that level of support, that level of support that you have people from all over the world coming to be a part of that was because of that balance of those things. And I don't think I knew that then I was only 20 years old, but after many, many years of walking this path and I think finding Joe Daichu, I think was, you know, such an important part of this path and his vision along with my experience, that's that moment. You know, I can draw it back to moments like that where, you know, it really was these ideas of enlightenment and the greater good that we can all serve married with really practical strategies to do that. So I think meeting her obviously was a great, a great gift of my life. And what a beautiful picture of Mother Teresa as this person who made good famous in the most humble way, you know, I mean, in her own story. She's the OG. She's totally the OG. OG. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Don't make me ask this question because at this point we're starting to wind down and we love to, you know, give you a chance to reflect back a one good thing. And, And you just gave us the one good thing, but what is this a mantra? What's a life hack? What's a principle that you hold deep that you'd want to share with our community today? I would say for me, it's an abundance mindset. You know, I've come to find that this is that idea of abundance. And so funny, it really came up a lot in this conversation with scarcity that it's almost a revolutionary act, you know, to have an abundance mindset in this, in this work that we do. Um, that identity of scarcity runs so deep, right. In, in, in the people that we work with, but I feel that it's led to such that self-concept has led to so much burnout and fear of risk and and taking the big bets and, and going for it in this sector in a way that I'm really excited about. And I think that my I, my maintaining and staying centered in that idea of abundance fuels me, you know, so I maintain that to, you know, so that I can think about 
what I need to appreciate, what I appreciate appreciates that idea, you know, that, that, that keeps going and, and throwing and, and focusing my energy on that and that we can all collaborate. I will come from this mindset forever of abundance because I ran much smaller and scrappier organizations for a long time where I had to collaborate to survive. And now that, you know, because, you know, we have a lot, a lot greater resources because of Joe and his incredible generosity, I still have that abundance mindset that it's all there. All of the elements and, and uh, resources we need in the world are there. You know, we just have to claim them and make them ours for the right reasons and drive them toward the right goals that we want for the good of all people. So it starts with that idea for me of abundance, that it's already there. I don't have to fight. It's already there for us. What I appreciate appreciates. I know. I mean, that is a beautiful quote. And I just have to piggyback onto that because we believe so much in abundance mindset. And I will say something that's been really helpful for our little team of three is get an accountability buddy on your abundance mindset. Mm. I mean, we frequently ask each other, check me real quick. I have Mm -hmm. a feeling about this. Is this my limiting belief or am I moving from a place of scarcity when we want to try something out as a new company before we post something maybe that's brave or bold for us? Mm -hmm. And when you have value aligned people around you who believe in the same things that are fighting for you, they're going to help you shatter through that and give you again, back to that empowerment to feel like you can live abundantly. And I have to tell you as someone who's lived scarcity, I never want to go back ever Mm -hmm. because over here, it feels so much better. I feel like I'm living more vibrantly and I have people around me that are constantly, again, community uplifting. So find your people, live in abundance, beautiful, one good thing. Okay, Carolina, how can we connect with you? I know everyone is going to want to come check out your socials. I want them to come find your team. Thank you for talking about Joe. And I've even looked at your team. You have an incredible team at at the Elevate Prize. I mean, just incredible humans. Tell everybody how they can connect with you and with Elevate. Well, Elevate Prizes, we can you can find us everywhere on social, so Facebook and and Twitter and and Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find me personally on those on those spaces too, um, and as Carolina Garcia Jayaram. And yes, our team is incredible, so you should be following them too. They're they're amazing content creators. We have a lot more coming. We've just brought on our new chief marketing officer who has a long experience in impact entertainment. So we're really excited about the kind of content we're going to start. Be- putting out in the next year about our winners and other social heroes from documentaries to, you know, TV shows, all kinds of things. So for sure, keep following us. You'll be able to find us in a lot of places. We're very excited and working with the Clooney's and, and other catalyst winners, um, you know, expect big things. We're going to definitely be bringing our, our winners and putting them at the center, center of the universe for sure, where they belong. Okay. Cup filled, heart filled. This has been amazing. I'm just grateful for your time and the work that you're just pouring in. It is just vibrant radiating from you. So thank you so much. I feel the same way. You have filled my cup today. Rooting for you. Thank you so much, Becky and John. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, 
our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.